This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 17th, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Public opinion matters in the fight over taxes and spending and the role of government. At Cato Club 200, pollster Scott Rasmussen gave a frank assessment on how Americans think about free markets. This is a portion of his remarks. We did a poll and we asked people, what's better, capitalism or socialism? 53% picked capitalism. Among people under 30, one-third picked capitalism, one-third socialism, and one-third said, hey, we're under 30. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Moore took that to say, wow, this is a great talking point. I'm going to put it in a movie. Capitalism is on its dying days. We went and explored with some more polling. And one of the things that we found was that 78% of Americans, 8 out of 10 people, said they preferred a free market economy over a government-managed economy. So I explained this to a friend of mine who's an economist, and he said, well, that shows how stupid the American people are. They don't understand they're the same thing. But what it really showed was that my friend didn't understand public opinion. When Americans today think of capitalism, what they think of is a system where big companies can keep the money when times are good and they get bailed out when times are bad. They think of regulators who make decisions and then walk through a revolving door and get a contract. They think it's a corrupt system of crony capitalism. And we can argue all we want about that's not really fair, that's not what capitalism is, but the fight over that wording is already lost. Capitalism in many minds has become a problem. Free markets, competition, very well received. Um, In fact, on any issue, if we ask about a bank or an industry or a company and say, What's better in terms of helping keep costs under control or getting better customer service? What's better, government regulation or more competition? Competition wins every single time. But we still have to, we tend to forget about the importance of these words and the way you present things in a political environment. Uh, You know, think tanks are great and it's nice that we have a lot of policy experts here, but sooner or later you have to connect with a public. In, I guess, a couple months ago now, we had a debt ceiling debate or debacle, depending on how you want to talk about it. And we had this silly situation going on where we have $100 trillion in unfunded liabilities, and Congress spent five months arguing about whether or not to raise the official debt ceiling by $1 or $2 trillion. And as they were doing that, we did an awful lot of polling, and the main discussion point eventually came back down to President Obama saying, you know, we need a balanced approach. Some extra revenue, some tax, or some spending cuts along the way. And Republicans said, no, we are opposed to tax cuts. And when we polled a choice between those two options, people overwhelmingly went with President Obama's position. But then, if we changed the wording just a little bit and said, suppose you had a choice between two candidates, one who backs President Obama's position and wants a balanced approach with higher taxes and some spending cuts, or somebody else who wants to reduce the deficit by spending cuts alone. The person who wanted the spending cuts alone did better. Now, you might say that's the same thing, but the person hearing the question heard in the second phrasing of it a solution. They, heard, they were trying to figure out how are we going to reduce the deficit, and the answer was with spending cuts alone. When the person was just talking about opposing tax hikes, they were kind of off point. And what happens in, a, in our country today is we have a great belief in individual rights. 
People think that we have inalienable rights. They think the government can't take things away from them. But they don't see any connection to how belief in those rights and in freedoms provides solutions for society. And it's filling that gap that's going to be one of the challenges we have to face in the coming years. Now, you know, I could go through and, and look at your agenda. You've got some great workshops, and I can give you all kinds of numbers to show you that the Ed Crane vision of the world is enormously popular. Uh, you're talking about education tomorrow. 73% of Americans believe that we're not getting a good return on our $700 billion investment in education. That's pretty good foundation. If you're not getting a good return on that, maybe there's room for some change. People don't think at the college level that we should be providing funding for kids who want to go to Yale or to Harvard or to other schools. Uh, you know, the schools have big enough endowments, they can do it themselves. Uh, there is some belief that we should help the poor, but it's only to a modest level to help them get into perhaps a community college or something. So yeah, there's some good things in that. Uh, you look at the Afghanistan discussion you're going to have, most Americans say it's time to bring troops home. Uh, that includes 40% of Republicans today. Uh, when you talk about health care, you know what? 81% of Americans believe it's going to cost more than projected. Most believe it's going to increase the deficit, increase the cost of health care. It's going to hurt the quality of care, and that's why most people want it repealed. But if we just talk about those things in a logical sense, it doesn't really do any good. Because that's not the way public opinion forms in this country. Uh, we tend, if you can picture a river, and you get a heavy rainstorm, on the, on the surface of the river there's a lot of raindrops, a lot of turmoil and splashing around, but if you go down a foot or two beneath the surface there's a strong current that moves on and you don't even know it's raining out. What happens in America is that current underneath the surface moves for a few decades. Public opinion is always ahead of the politicians almost every major change in American history. And so you need to look at where those currents are and see what's going to happen. Uh, we were all brought up to believe there was a shot heard around the world in 1775 that sparked the revolution. But in reality, we know that for decades before that, colonists began to think of themselves as different from the mother country. And we had the Stamp Act and that unpleasantness in the Boston Harbor and all kinds of other situations that sparked a revolution, but the ideas had been building for a long time. And it's important to note, Thomas Jefferson didn't write the declaration to inspire the revolution. The war started 15 months ahead of time. He encapsulated what people were talking about around him. When you talk about Rosa Parks and the Civil Rights Movement, those ideas had been building for decades, and the most successful parts of that movement came when Martin Luther King articulated a view that challenged America to live up to its ideals, and he cited the Declaration of Independence. But again, it wouldn't have happened without public opinion moving first. By the time Congress did anything in the Civil Rights Movement, two-thirds of Americans were already asking them to do something. Now, this next one I know is probably going to be a little bit of a sore subject here. Uh, but we had that uh, program called the New Deal in the 1930s. And it's a little bizarre if you think about it. We know that government mismanagement created the Depression. We know that the government policies converted a normal business recession into a decade-long debacle. And yet the end result was, after government screwed things up the first time, we gave them more authority over the economy. How did that happen? Two reasons. First, the conservatives who were arguing against the New Deal 
didn't argue about solutions. They argued about the economy and theories, and they didn't connect with concerns about, but my neighbor's a good person and is out of work. Something has changed in this world. Second thing was, there had been a progressive movement for decades that had been agitating for new ideas for government involvement. They had been passing laws at the state level, and when the chance came and there was a depression and things weren't working out, that appeared to be a credible solution. And so we ended up with a, an irrational response to a government-induced depression because public opinion had been building in that way for a couple of decades. Now, today, we're in a different place, and the trends are moving back in a direction that you'll be more comfortable with. But you've got to talk about the short term, where, what's happening right now. There is a total lack of trust and credibility in anything to do with the government. Uh, by a three to one margin, people believe that no matter, what, no matter how bad something is, Congress can always make it worse. <laughs> Credible response. People believe that no matter what happens with their own congressman, they believe their own representative is corrupt. 52% believe their own person in Congress trades votes for cash. A majority believe that a group of people randomly selected from the phone book would do a better job. And when the President of the United States goes and gives a speech on a jobs program, nobody believes what he says about paying for it. Uh, just to give you a sense of scale, it's not just they don't believe that the deficit super committee will come up with the extra money to cover the President's jobs program. Most Americans don't expect that Congress will even allow to happen the, tax, the spending cuts they've already agreed to. There is nothing that a government official can say today that is trusted by the average voter. Only one out of six Americans believe our government has the consent of the government. Scott Rasmussen is a founder and president of Rasmussen Reports. He spoke at the Cato Club 200 retreat. You can learn more about Cato events around the country at our website, cato.org.